0: I'm delighted to be joined by Jorge Martí. He is the Secretariat of Hensa Venezuela. Welcome to our program, Jorge.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Now, we have seen the world, you know, become enlightened by activity. Now, we know that the U.S. elections have... Um, being very controversial. And at the same time, we have been watching Latin America reimagine you know, themselves as we see a movement in Bolivia to bring back the leftist party with the election of Luis Arced. How do you see the impact of the U.S. election on the upcoming elections on Venezuela, which will be held on December 6th?
1: Well, the first thing that we have to say is that the elections in the U.S., a logistic disaster. I mean, in Venezuela, there were elections. Uh, there have been many elections, but the, 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 the more recent ones in 2018 were the presidential elections. And on election night, just a few hours after the closing of the polls, the full results were known and announced. And the U.S., the most uh, powerful imperialist country on, on earth, can't even organize a proper count and we have to wait for days and days until, until all the votes are counted. Uh, that, that just gives you an idea of how uh, people around uh, the world, and particularly Latin America, how they regarded the U.S. elections. The U.S. is always intervening in other countries' electoral affairs, declaring these elections, like, for instance, the, the Bolivian elections a year ago to be illegitimate or to be influenced by election fraud. But when it comes to the US, then uh, they can't even organize a proper presidential uh, election. And all these claims from Trump of election fraud, although they are obviously not true, but they have gone a long way to dispel the myth of the US being a perfect democracy uh, when they don't even have a a system of direct presidential election. They they elect people to go onto onto a... an electoral college, and there's millions of people who are disenfranchised. So that's the first observation that I will uh, make. The second is that, in, rea- in reality, the foreign policy of both parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, towards Latin America is always very similar. We shouldn't forget that it was uh, President Kennedy who uh, presided over the Bay of Peaks invasion, attempted invasion of Cuba. It was uh, Obama who first introduced an executive order declaring that Venezuela was an immediate danger to U.S. national security. And on the basis of this executive order signed by uh, Obama, then all the sanctions uh, against Venezuela in the last few years have been implemented on basis. Um, So there is a fundamental difference in foreign uh, policy. Uh, Biden criticized Trump for not having removed Maduro from power in Venezuela. And if Trump won the election, he was going to make a deal with Putin and le- and leave Maduro off the hook. So in reality, they're competing with each other to see who is more imperialist and interventionist in relation to Latin America. There might be perhaps uh, some difference in the foreign policy, and that's when it comes to Cuba, where both parties have the same aim, uh, the aim of uh, uh, overthrowing the Cuban revolution and uh, introducing capitalism in the island, but it seems that increasing the embargo and the blockade in Cuba. But in the meantime, as you mentioned, there's been good, interesting developments in in Latin America. The victory of uh, Evo Morales' party in the Bolivian elections after one year of an illegitimate coup uh, government, so yeah, there have there has been changes, been big protests that overthrew two governments in uh, Peru, uh, massive protests against budget cuts in uh, Guatemala. Uh, I think there is a general trend towards people saying enough is enough, and uh, these protests have been inspired by what happened a year ago in Chile and in uh, Ecuador. I think it's a very interesting uh, time, and the fact that the United States. Is so uh, divided, uh, so polarized, um, s- slightly taken its eye off the the ball in relation to Latin America. Opens up a little bit of space, I think, perhaps.
0: I think it's really important to note um, that both Republican and Democrats have similar interventionist and imperialist policies when it comes to Latin America and other regions of the world as well. And you're right to point out that sometimes by putting a person of color... Some social movements may be lulled into believing that there is change coming, as it was the case with Obama, you know. Whereas we saw the the war in Libya being launched by a black president again in a, an African country, so uh, there is a lot of. Um, things that we have to content within our social movements, you know, in North America. So can we talk a little bit about uh, the importance then of social movements? We know now that under COVID, many workers in North America have been completely devastated, you know, and some have been even denied the Benefits that they were entitled to. So how has this pandemic uh, affected our social movements uh, and how can it become an opportunity for us to reimagine our our movements in new ways and more collaborative processes?
1: First of all, in in Latin America, the the pandemic has really devastated whole countries. Peru is now one of the countries with the highest level of uh, COVID-19 deaths head of population anywhere in the world. Uh, the situation in Ecuador was also very bad a few months ago in Chile. Uh, not, not to speak of uh, Brazil, a country whose presidents followed more or less the same policy as Trump, i.e. don't do anything, and, uh, and uh, where tens of thousands have died uh, unnecessarily of this uh, pandemic. And uh, the policy that they followed in the United States is is exactly the same one. Not do anything in the name of capitalist profits, or or as they say, the economy. We need to protect the economy, but what they mean is we need to protect uh, the bosses' uh, profits. They have let uh, tens of thousands of people to die when there was no need for this. Many of these deaths could have been avoided if uh, serious action had been taken much earlier. The, the COVID-19 pandemic has had temporarily the effect of uh, suspending or p- paralyzing some of the movements that were going on before, like, for instance, the insurrectionary movement in, in Chile, which started one year ago. But that is not something that will last forever. Uh, and We have already seen the, the uprising of the Black Lives Matter in the US took place in the middle of the pandemic. And, and people were so angry at, at yet another example of uh, police brutality and police killings, that they came out on the streets, not only in Minneapolis but across across the whole of the United States in, in a massive uprising. Uh, we have seen also big protests in the last few days in uh, Chile, including a national strike of the dock workers against uh, attempts of the government to fudge the issue of uh, pensions. Uh, we have seen mass movements in uh, Colombia. Uh, just a few weeks ago, also against police brutality and killings, the, the movement in uh, Guatemala in the last few days, and these movements, movements were not stopped by COVID-19. Uh, people uh, are affected by these things, and they come out and struggle. They they take protection protections. They keep, try to keep uh, social distancing or wear masks at these protests, but life continues, exploitation continues, and people continue to need to go out and, and and struggle. And the other aspect I will say is that this COVID-19 pandemic has, shocked, has shaken everyone. It is a complete change from your normal everyday uh, life uh, and has revealed in the eyes of millions, I will say, the real nature of the capitalist uh, system. First of all, because Uh, many health systems uh, around the world were completely unprepared and had been decimated by years of austerity policies, cuts in uh, in public health and so on. Uh, In some countries, of course, like the United States, you don't have uh, a national health service. You have private insurance. People who cannot pay uh, are then forced to go out to, to work regardless of any considerations for for security and safety, preventing uh, themselves from getting infected. Not only this, but then when it came to lockdowns, we, we saw we saw the, the hypocrisy of uh, capitalism. People were being asked to stay home in the countries where these policies were implemented. But then at the same time, they were asked to go to work, even in sectors which cannot, by any stretch of imagination, be considered as essential sectors of the economy. So So their lives were being put at risk to maintain capitalist profits. And I think that this has shaken the consciousness of millions of people. On top of this, we have the economic crisis, which is not caused by COVID-19. It's an economic crisis that already started before, was was coming already. It's obviously been accelerated and uh, made deeper by COVID-19 and then the parallelization of production that's come with it but this is a crisis of capitalism where millions, tens of millions of people have lost their jobs, where poverty has gone up massively. Uh, And so all of this is is having an impact on consciousness. It's having the impact of making people question the capitalist system, both in advanced capitalist countries, like in in the US, in Canada, in uh, Britain, uh, uh, across Europe, but but also in in dominated countries 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 that are dominated by imperialism, like in the whole of, uh, of Latin America, there is a very strong mood of questioning of capitalism and I would say the youth and the women are at the forefront of these movements we've seen in the last, the last one year in the last in a in more recent uh, period in, in Chile, in Mexico, in Peru in Ecuador, uh, in Bolivia is very important. this is a generation. That is growing up now, is becoming politically aware and active. That uh, at the time of the previous capitalist crisis in 2008, they were just about uh, being born. Perhaps uh, this was uh, this was now 12 years ago. People were born in 2000, uh, they're now 20, and all they have seen in the in the conscious life is capitalist crisis. Capitalism doesn't offer them anything and uh, they don't have any hang-ups from the past, from the defeats of, the, say, the 1970s or the 1980s. Uh, th- this is very clear. For instance, in Chile, there's a whole generation who's never lived under the dictatorship, and they're not afraid. They're not afraid to come out and struggle. Uh, their parents may be, be more reluctant because they, 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 in the back of their minds is what happened last time. It was a big struggle. It ended up in a, in a bloody dictatorship. But the new generation they don't they don't know about that. They have no direct experience and, and this is a positive thing because they are fresh into a political struggle and they are prepared to to fight. Uh, they have no other alternative than, than to fight.
0: When you talk about the devastation of an economic crisis, and many are saying COVID, COVID, but the truth is, as you point out, um, the economic crisis began long before. There's been so many capitalist economic crises. The you know the last one we never recovered from was in 2008, when the United States gave its entire GDP to the banks, and they said the banks could not you know fail. And now, you know, we've seen in the midst of a pandemic, there is no relief for the people. But what this means uh, for us as a community, right? And when I was a child growing up through war, um, we were taught that community's immunity, you know, the only thing that protects you is other people and being with people. So, how do we move through both the neoliberal? <coughs> trauma of having our systems devastated by decades of neoliberalism and the imposed invasions that have, you know, not not just uh, military invasions, but economic invasions as we're seeing in Venezuela with the imposition of sanctions and the numbers of people that are dying as a result of it. How do we support each other in this time and especially in a time where the Venezuelan people are again going to an election uh, that to, you know, have collective power and both representative power?
1: Yes, I think I think these elections coming up in Venezuela are very important and they're very important for two reasons. First of all, because the National Assembly uh, was dominated for five years by the right wing. Uh, The right wing won the election in December 2015. And since then, they have had the domination of the National Assembly. So they've been able to uh, create disruption, uh, block uh, initiatives from the government. And they generally disregarded uh, the law and uh, the general interest. Not only this. They, they used their victory in the National, election, in national Assembly election in 2015 to, to launch a whole series of initiatives to remove the government from power, which they, they were not entitled to. They should have waited until the presidential election. And now it's an opportunity to remove them once and for all from the National Assembly, from their domination of the National Assembly through, through the election. Um, and a whole section of the opposition, particularly those around Guaidó, who organized two attempted coups last year, 2019, they have decided to boycott the elections. But this section of the opposition is completely divided, fractured, fighting amongst each other. And Guaidó is very discredited amongst his own supporters and his political allies, because he basically failed in what he set out to do, which was to replace Maduro as president. So that's an important point that there needs to be Uh, a very high turnout in these elections to make them uh, as legitimate as possible, despite the call from the opposition, the main sector of the opposition, uh, which is dominated by U.S. imperialist interests, to to boycott this election. I think that's quite important. The second point is that for the first time in this election, there is a left-wing list standing, Separate and outside of the PSUV, which is the main party in government and the party of Maduro, and this this coalition is called the Revolutionary People's Alternative, and it's come out of uh, discussions. It's a joint list between the Communist Party of Venezuela, between the the, the Patria para Todos (Fatherland for All), the Tupamaros, uh, the National uh, Commune Network. Uh, lucha de Clases, Class Struggle, and a whole number of other organizations, big and small, who have decided that they don't think the way the government is attempting to fight imperialist uh, intervention is the, is the right way. They argue that the, the government is making concessions to the capitalist class, is making is conciliating with the coup plotters. For instance, Guaido, despite the fact that his capital to two attempted coups is still free, uh, to walk the streets and agitate uh, in illegal ways against the, the democratic will of the people. Uh, they point out that the government has now been privatizing uh, state-owned companies that were nationalized under Chavez. They point out that uh, landlords have been taking the land from peasants, uh, which was given to them under the agrarian reform under the, and the Chavez. And the, the state apparatus, the judges, the National Guard, and the government, to a certain extent, is 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 on the side of the of the landowners rather than being on the side of the of the peasants. So, for, and and they point out that the government is attacked the right to collective bargaining, that a number of workers and and people's activists are now in jail without trial. They they argue that it's necessary to have a, an alternative list, the APR, uh, People's Revolutionary Alternative to stand in these elections to defend the genuine legacy of Chávez. So this debate will take place now for the first time. There's always been a contradiction in the Bolivarian movement between the more moderate, let's say, reformist section and the more revolutionary left-wing section of the movement. Now, for the first time, this this debate has expressed itself in two different election platforms, and we will see how, how well or not, the APR does, and that will be a good indicator of of whether there is a strong left-wing criticism of this government or or not. So I think that these two things are are things to watch. Uh, One, the level of uh, participation, the turnout in these elections, which will be a sign of a complete defeat of the the abstentionist, pro-imperialist right-wing. And the other one, how well the left... uh, people's revolutionary alternative does in the election, which will also be interesting to to watch the u s washington and and the European Union have already said that these elections are not legitimate despite the fact that uh, Venezuela invited uh, the European Union to send observers they already said these elections are not legitimate or democratic we will not recognize the result. I will say. Look, it's 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 up to the people of Venezuela to uh, vote and decide their own government. It's not, it's not for someone in Washington or in Brussels to ratify such elections. I mean, when there's been all these allegations of fraud by Trump in the United States, no one has thought of asking Venezuela if they, if they think the elections are free and fair. Uh, and quite rightly so. I mean, this isn't a matter for the U.S. people to decide in the same way the venezuelan election should be a matter for the venezuelan people to to decide who they want to elect and uh, wh- whether the elections are free and fair which which i think they are i mean there's i think it's about 120 different uh political lists and parties standing in this election millions of people will will turn up at the polls uh it is an election and if if the right wing uh opposition were to participate they will they will get representation there are some parties of the right wing part, taking part but but the, the, the main ones around Guaido, they are boycotting this, this election.
0: Can you talk a so little that, bit about how the sanctions have impacted the, not just the, the political process but the community you know and, and life in Venezuela as a whole.
1: Yes, I mean, as I said before, the the sanctions started with uh, Obama's executive order in in 2015. But really, uh, I mean, the country had already gone into an economic crisis before that with the collapse of oil prices around 2014. But of course, these sanctions uh, aggravate the economic uh, crisis to, to the nth degree. Uh, In 2019, there was an an oil blockade, and it's not just the fact that Venezuela used to sell most of its oil or or a large proportion of its oil exports to the US, which now is no longer possible, but also the fact that in order to refine oil products in Venezuela, Venezuela was was buying uh, certain products from the United States, which it now has to source from other countries uh, in in Africa, uh, in the Middle East, and so on which is obviously a much longer journey, much more expensive. On top of this, the the U.S. has been threatening and bullying companies that do trade with Venezuela. It's not just that U.S. sanctions affect U.S.-Venezuelan trade and affect U.S. companies trading with with Venezuela, but, but they also put pressure on other companies, companies from Russia, from Iran, from Nigeria, from Turkey, uh, from other parts of the world that, that were trading with Venezuela. They're now, they're now subject to bullying from the United States. This has a massive impact in Venezuela. There are massive shortages of fuel, which then impacts on public transportation, the transportation of food, the prices of food. Uh, this has had a massive uh, impact. The, according to some calculation, tens of thousands of people have died Uh, from causes which are directly related to this uh, regime of sanctions. So, yeah, it has had a big impact. And also, I will say that the economic crisis in Venezuela, which is so deep, is partly caused or aggravated by by the sanctions, has meant that people have less time for political participation. So it's had a, a detrimental effect on the revolutionary movement itself. If people have to spend most of the waking hours trying to trying to find a way of transporting themselves from A to B, trying to find uh, a way to get uh, the necessary foodstuffs to cook, then they don't have time for political participation or they don't have as much time as they maybe they had earlier. So, I mean, this, this sanctions regime is completely criminal. And not only this, it has not achieved the stated aim of uh, Washington, when it implemented them, that is uh, a regime change in in Venezuela
0: what inspires you that we can see a change in our capitalist trauma and eventually you know hopefully in the near future see a new path you know to perhaps a socialist way of being or perhaps a new way of reimagining justice that includes everyone.
1: Uh, What inspires me? Well, I mean, the Venezuelan revolution over the last 20 years has shown the power of uh, everyday people, workers, the peasants, the poor, the women, the youth to participate in politics. Number one, to take the reins of their own future. And they've done so in so many different ways. Uh, workers' control in factories, factory occupations, peasant cooperatives. Uh, Even if you were to, let's say tomorrow, remove the Maduro government, these experiences still remain there, and it will be very difficult for any right-wing government coming to power. I don't don't wish that on on the Venezuelan people, but if that were the case, it would be very difficult to eradicate this from the consciousness of millions of people who have become uh, empowered uh, in the sense of having power over their own lives. That's what a, a revolution is. And that is really the only way of transforming uh, society, uh, but taking away the power, political and economic, from the small parasitical minority of uh, capitalists, landowners, bankers, who basically run the economy for their own uh, private, narrow uh, interests, and uh, putting the whole of the economy and and political decisions in the hands of a majority of people who produce uh, all the wealth, the working class, and uh, who have no other interest than the interest of everyone at at heart. And and this is what socialism really means. That is the common ownership of the means of production, uh, public control over the economy, and and, uh, a democracy, which means that no, we, we don't just vote every four or five years for a set of politicians representing represent the interests of the ruling class, but that uh, workers have power uh, over the economy and they run it democratically in the interest of the majority. And uh, in, a, in a regime like that, none of what's happened in the last one year, all the, over a million deaths because of uh, COVID, a large number of those who have been completely avoidable in a regime that puts the interests of the many over, over the profits of the few.
0: Thank you so much for being with us. How can people access your work?
1: Yes, I'm part of the editorial board of uh, In Defense of Marxism. This is a website uh, which you can find at marxist.com. Uh, I'm also the secretary of the Hands of Venezuela campaign, which you can find online at handsofvenezuela.org. And I would generally just uh, advise everyone: if you are angry, if you don't like uh, capitalism, uh, get organized, uh, study, learn, uh, discuss ideas, and participate in this, which is the only task that is worth uh, living for—the task, the task of uh, cleansing the world from all evil, oppression, and violence, and, and, uh, and, and, and making the most. Of life on this uh, planet, which should not be hell on earth as it is now for the majority.
0: Thank you again. Take care.
1: Thank you. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows to access resources or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement. Thank you and bye for now.